Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Paul Byram of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam Hurt. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcotte from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the Edelman. This is Alex Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Well, good weekend and welcome to the Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming. Thanks for uh, stopping by once again. If you're a returning listener and you've uh, downloaded this week's episode uh, from wherever you get your uh, your copy of the Pipeline Show from, SoundCloud or Google Play or Spreaker or the big ones, Spotify, iTunes, places like that. Uh, if you've left a comment, I really appreciate that you do. If you uh, give a rating or something, that would be great. If you do both, even better. If you're a newcomer to the show, I'm always interested in how you found out about the show and what intrigued you enough to uh, try and give the show a listen. So if you uh, want to, uh, if you don't already follow me on Twitter, you can at TPS underscore Guy. And if you want to let me know there uh, where you came, how you came across the Pipeline show and uh, why you decided to give it a try, uh, I'm always intrigued to know. So you can uh, let me know about that as well. I just put up the uh, question of the day on Twitter a second ago, and uh, the question reads, Is there a surprise inclusion or exclusion uh, or omission from Canada's World Junior Team? And by that, I don't mean this person, player X, uh, definitely needed to be on the team. Hockey Canada screwed up. I don't know what they're thinking. Or how is that guy better than player X? He shouldn't be on the team. I mean, think back to two weeks ago. And is there a guy that you're surprised didn't make the team or surprised that he did make the team and i'm not talking about does he deserve to be there or not and i'll give you an example i didn't see the camp i I wasn't uh, there i didn't watch uh, the two exhibition games so i can't tell you uh, how they performed but but i'm a little surprised that uh, peyton krebs didn't make the team for instance i'm not shocked because uh, he's just coming off a uh, a long injury and maybe i he might still not be up to normal peyton krebs uh performing and i don't know how he performed at the camp so i can't say that uh he doesn't deserve or that he does not deserve to be on the team i'm just a little surprised that he didn't make the team how about that hunter jones is another one i mean they're take they're taking three goaltenders over he was one of the guys at the camp and he's got a lot of history with hockey canada so he was a guy that i actually thought would be one of the three goalies going uh, and he's not again i don't know that it's the right or the wrong decision i'm just saying it's a surprise for me that uh, he doesn't end up being one of the three goaltenders so that's what I'm talking about. You can let me know uh, what you think on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. Let's get to some of the uh, news and notes, and maybe we can start with the uh, the World Junior roster. Mentioned that Krebs didn't make it out of the WHL. Connor Zary, who was a late addition to the camp, also didn't uh, make the final team, and uh, Braden Schneider off the back end. But the six who did from the dub, Joel Hofer in net, 
uh, Kalen Addison and Bowen Byram and Ty Smith on the back end. So lots of dub content uh, for the blue line. Uh, Dylan Cousins and Nolan Foote up front. Only one of the college guys uh, made it, and that would be uh, Bernard Jacob Bernard Docker, former AJHLer with the Okotoks Oilers. Uh, but the other three did not make it, Alex Newhook and uh, Dylan Holloway, as well as uh, Peter Dilaberatori, who was on the show last week. Smattering of trades in the WHL over the last week or so. We can go back to the uh, the trade that the Kelowna Rockets made with the Seattle Thunderbirds, another one. Remember, they had the big one in the summer as well, but the Rockets give up a first, a second, and a fifth-round pick in three different years for forward Matthew Wedman, overage forward. That meant that they had to clear space. Leif Matson goes to the Spokane Chiefs. Since then, I think I actually touched on that one uh, last week, but uh, the bigger one this week I saw the Medicine Hat Tigers and the Vancouver Giants get together, and uh, four assets moving either way from each team, including uh, one uh, conditional pick either way going. Uh, but the uh, players who move, uh, Tyler Prezuzo and Trevor Longo, go from Medicine Hat to the Giants, as well as a first-round pick this spring. Uh, the Giants, in exchange, give up uh, Lucas Fekoski, uh, Dylan Plouffe. He's an overage defenseman and a uh, third-round pick this spring. Now, I've seen some people, uh, quite honestly, it's uh, to me, it's, you know, Prezuzo's a pretty good player. Fekoski's a little bit younger. Uh, Plouffe is the, uh, the overage player going back to Medicine Hat. Uh, the Tigers now have a, a big, experienced, a strong defense, and Svekoski could be a pretty good player for them. Uh, I, I don't mind the trade, though, for Vancouver either. Prezuzo comes over. He'll give them a little bit more offensive punch uh, up front. Longo is a serviceable defenseman. They get that first-round pick, and that could be key if Vancouver wants to flip it for something else that becomes available. Um, so that might be this might be a move that kind of sets up another move for the Giants. Meanwhile, Medicine Hat's been on absolutely on fire here uh, over the last couple of weeks. They are scoring goals uh, seemingly at will. They put up 19 goals in a span of 24 hours uh, after they beat Saskatoon 11 to three and then doubled up Prince Albert eight to four. So uh, everything clicking right now for Medicine Hat, and I still expect some big trades to uh, happen. We'll get into that a little bit later uh, in the show. Uh, speaking of trades, though, in the uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. It's always weird because at this time you're not supposed to be trading guys who are away at the World Junior Championship, but <laughs> word has already come out that there are four four or five trades basically completed and will, won't be announced until after the World Junior. But uh, reportedly, Raphael Lavoie will go from Halifax to Shakutami. So will Dawson Mercer. Uh, he goes from Drummondville to Shakutami. Theo Rochette will end up with the uh, Quebec Ramparts. Uh, Benoit, Olivier Gru, and Jared McIsaac will go from Halifax uh, to Moncton. Uh, so there's some pretty big pieces who are uh, on the move uh, in the queue, reportedly. Also seeing a report that uh, Mercer, it's not Chicoutimi he's going to go to, it'll be Moncton. So uh, some of these things, uh, I, I guess we won't know for sure for a little while, but appears that uh, Dawson Mercer will... Uh, no longer be with the Drummondville Voltageur. But uh, Michael Alonset from TVA uh, has his finger on the league uh, pretty well. He's one of the people that said Mercer is going to end up with uh, Shakutami. Anyway, we'll uh, revisit that uh, after the the World Junior Championship. That other tournament that's going on right now is the World Junior A Challenge. One of my guests today I spoke with yesterday, uh, but there was one game still uh, to go 
uh, in that day, and it was a big one because it was, you know, Canada West. It was win or you're done. They did not win. The Czech Republic beat Canada West a four to three yesterday, and that ends the tournament for Canada West. They don't even get out of the uh, the round robin. Four teams advance, and they end up fifth in the five team tournament. That's a really disappointing finish for Canada West. There's uh, a lot of talent on that team, and uh, they just struggled for whatever reason. Matt Davis gave up three goals on eight shots or something like that yesterday. He got the yank. Uh, the Czechs actually scored four times in the first period alone. Canada stormed back and scored three in the second period, but uh, could not equalize the rest of the way. So Canada West is done. The U.S. is playing Russia today, and the Czechs are uh, taking on Canada East. Uh, and that'll set up the final standings out of the round robin. Uh, Canada, uh, the United States has wrapped up top spot, uh, so they'll play. They'll have the easiest to semifinal. More on the World Junior A Challenge uh, later on in the show. I'll tell you about that in a second as well. Going back to the WHL for a second, other news that was announced earlier this week, and something I touched on back on November 1st, uh, the WHL has formally now announced and confirmed the uh, Bantam tournament that will be held in uh, the Seattle area. That will include a number of Bantam teams uh, out of the United States and uh, a quartet of uh, Canadian Bantam teams as well. But basically, it's a showcase for American talent. And that leads into uh, the brand new uh, two-round American draft. That will happen in March. So every team will pick a couple of American players. Americans will still be eligible for the regular Bantam draft, but most of the high-end Americans will be already taken. Uh, in the uh, two rounds in March. Uh, no details yet in terms of how they're going to set up the draft order for the American draft. I, I'm going to guess, and I don't know this yet, but the regular season ends in the middle of March. I I would expect that the final standings in the uh, the regular season will have something to do with the draft order. But maybe we see like a, a snake version or something like that where the team that picks last in the first round has first pick in the second round. I don't know. But we'll see. I'm sure all the details will be announced, but uh, I touched on both of those things uh, way back on November 1st uh, for with an article I wrote for Dub Network, and uh, that's now been confirmed uh, six or seven weeks later by the WHL. Uh, one other thing that affects the WHL, the Alberta government has uh, come on board and uh, officially listed CHL players as amateurs, so uh, the, the league not expected to uh, pay the players. And that follows suit, as far as I know, with every other province in the country. I know Saskatchewan, Manitoba, BC, they'd already been on board with that. My understanding was Ontario and Alberta were the only two provinces where that wasn't already on the books. Uh, but Ontario corrected that about a, a year ago or something when the, the conservative government took over in Ontario. And now that it's a conservative government in Alberta, uh, that's officially been uh, written into the, uh, the law book as, uh, as well. Uh, we know that's the case in Washington. Not sure about Oregon. Not sure about uh, Michigan and uh, and Pennsylvania e either for the Erie Otters. But obviously a big development in that regard. Now, I, I did hear a report on CTV radio. Actually, it was TSN radio. Uh, yesterday, as I was driving around, it just, you know, the sports updates during the, the, the news at the top or the bottom of the hour kind of thing. And it said that uh, the WHL would be no longer obligated to pay players. Well, they've never been obligated to pay players. They've never paid players, other than the the you know the fifty bucks weekly stipend or whatever it is for for players, and that's 
So it was kind of misreported in that regard. There was just never a clarification legally. And now that's been made, I believe, in uh, all provinces across the country. So nothing changed. It's just officially recognized that the way things have been done is the way things are to be done. Anyway, but the, the class action lawsuit continues and we'll see. Eventually, we'll uh, we'll see if that uh, that changes or not. One other tournament going on uh, as we speak, and that would be the uh, 2020 World Championship, the Division One. The clubs there are uh, six teams, six nations uh, trying to get into the big group with Canada and Russia and the U.S. and, and Sweden and Finland and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, the six teams who are battling it out right now are Austria, Latvia, Norway, Belarus, Denmark, and Slovenia, and that's the way they stand right now in the standings. Austria, a bit surprising right now, and doing it without Marco Rossi. Remember, he was on the show about a month ago and said he would not be going over. Well, they have, they're in first place right now. There's still another day of round-robin action to go. But the Austrians have nine points. Latvia has eight points. Norway just to shut out Denmark. They have seven points. Belarus is fourth. They have five, uh, but have a game in hand. They Belarus and Slovenia are playing uh, as I speak right now, actually. And Denmark, actually, surprisingly, really struggling here in this event as well. And, you know, Mad Sogard is over there and... Uh, you know, it's obviously a growing hockey nation, uh, but really struggling here in this event. I think a lot of people expected they might be the team that wins and comes back to the big group, but it uh, does not appear that that's going to be the case. Leading scorers over there right now, Benjamin Baumgartner. He's uh, from Austria. He has 10 points through four games. Five of those points are goals. Janet Svanenbergs, he's from Latvia. He has uh, seven points. He's next. Then it goes all the way down to Paul Huber, who has five points. Uh, some of the WHL guys who are over there, you got to go way down. Alexi Protus has uh, two points. Ilya Yusov also with two points. Both of those guys with the Prince Albert Raiders uh, and playing for Belarus. Uh, Vlad Alistrov also two points. He's a member of the Edmonton Oil Kings. I mentioned uh, Mad Sogard. Stats are actually really good. He has a 9.29 save percentage right now. Uh, 2.27 goals against average, but his team isn't scoring. He is getting no run support right now, and that's a, an expression my friend Low Tide, Alan Mitchell, uh, he likes to use that expression. Well, Mad Sogard not getting any run support uh, from his uh, team. All right, let's get to what's coming down the pipe on the show today, and we will start it off with uh, our CHL insider, Sam Cosentino from uh, Roger Sportsnet. He was at Hockey Canada's uh, World Junior Camp. I spoke with him on Wednesday, a couple of times on Wednesday, actually. We started, the first half of the interview is on a Wednesday morning, and the second half is uh, after the game that night. So finished it off. It's, it's kind of like having two interviews uh, and uh, splicing them together, because that's basically what happened. So we get his thoughts uh, through the middle of the World Junior Camp. So we didn't obviously ask about, you know, uh, line combinations and things like that, because the team hadn't been named yet, but... I talked to him about that, and then we get into some of the other stuff, uh, you know, hockey culture. A lot of people have uh, said to me, and, I, and I've heard on local radio here, that, yeah, the NHL is bad, but uh, junior hockey might be even worse in terms of uh, abusive coaches or some of the negative stuff that we're hearing in the news lately in terms of hockey culture. So I wanted to get Sam's take on that, uh, and also asked him just uh, his thoughts on, on Alberta, uh, putting into record that uh, CHL players are classified as amateur so we talk a bit about that 
From that segment, we'll go to our WHL insider. That'll be Andy Eide from ESPN 710 in Seattle talking about all things WHL. It'll be our NCAA campus report following that. Jordan Kawaguchi is leading North Dakota in scoring and has brought them back up. They are now first place in the NCHC and a ranked number two in Division One hockey. He's a, uh, a Canadian, so wanted to chat with him. So Jordan Kawaguchi from the North Dakota Fighting Hawks will be my guest in uh, the college segment. And we'll close things out today with uh, a look at the World Junior A Challenge and uh, J.D. Burke from EP Ringside uh, will be my guest. He is up in Dawson Creek and uh, chatted with him yesterday about how the, that tournament has been unfolding and a plethora of draft-eligible players who are on display. So lots to get to. We'll kick things off, though, with uh, CHL insider Sam Cosentino, and he'll be our CHL insider, brought to you by the store next door, employs people with disabilities, and uh, giving them a sense of community and a sense of value and a sense of purpose. And, uh, you know, as a parent of a special needs kid, uh, I I kind of identify with that, and I, I understand, I recognize the the benefit of what they're doing out there, and uh, so it's a, a group that I've been trying to support here over the last number of months, and I uh, hope you really, I really hope that you give them a look. Uh, the storenextdoor.ca is their website. They have a big gallery, a kind of catalog of all the products that they make. And what they do is they take broken hockey sticks and they and they transform basically what was junk and they make some real treasures out of it and uh, uh, i really think you should give them a look the store next door dot ca is the website go check them out sam cosentino from roger sportsnet he's up first here on the pipeline show with Guy flaming down there by Zaboral. puck comes free wards clearing play to the line it skips out to center valeno trying to break shorthanded joe valeno penalty coming valeno deking scores Joe Valeno, shorthanded goal. Hey, it's Joe Valeno from the Drummondville Voltageurs, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream will rise to the top, oh yeah. The cream of the crop! Nobody does it better. Back on the Pipeline Show, we'll kick off this week's episode uh, in uh, in fine order as we uh, head out to Ontario. Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet, he's uh, always everybody's CHL insider and uh, he's my CHL insider this week. 
Sam, welcome back to the program. How are things? Yeah, great to be back, and uh, I'm spoiled this week. I got camp ten minutes away from the house. It's been uh, it's been a real treat, especially with the uh, with the two a day sessions. Oh, that's great! You get to uh, wear your pajama pants uh, all the way to the rink, and then a, <laughs> a quick change, and uh, you're off to work. <laughs> yeah, you got. <laughs> yeah, I think I've worn everything. I've worn the jeans, the pajamas, and the suit all in one week here. <laughs> all right, well, let's get right to uh, Canada's camp. Uh, we'll talk about that uh, first. There's a couple other items I wanted to get to. But um, so far, I mean, uh, the, by the time this airs, the team, I think, will be picked. When's the announcement actually come? Friday? Well, I think they want to have, you know, 90% of it done by Thursday. Aiden Dudas is a guy who's injured who... Um, you know, there's some concern about him, so he won't play in any of these games, but they do feel that he has an opportunity to be ready for Boxing Day. Right. And then, of course, you have the NHL guys. Uh, the December 19th NHL freeze um, will impact those guys. Of the three that are left, they say Barrett Hayton has the, has the most chance of coming back. I'd say probably slim to none for Doc, and I'd probably say about a 25% chance for Dobson. Of what you've seen so far in camp, and full disclosure for the audience, it's Wednesday as you and I are talking, so there'll be a couple of days that happen uh, after our conversation uh, before this uh, this podcast comes out. But uh, what you've seen so far, uh, early reaction to what you've seen on the ice, uh, what stood out for you? Well, you know, it's been really interesting because the first practice, the you know, the team practice in groups of five, and I was looking now, I said, this might be a Russian practice here, because the <laughs> uh, you know normally you got your defenseman in black, and then the lines are are varied by by color of jersey, but it was different. They were practicing in groups of five, which was a little bit of a departure from what I'd normally seen. And then in yesterday's practice, they kind of split the team sixty forty, but about midway through, a few of the guys switched jerseys, so. To get any sort of determination in terms of line combinations and and that, it's been a little tough so far because it's been disjointed based on some of the things they're trying to establish here early on and lay some foundational work that they can carry forward to them once they get to, uh, you know, get overseas. Read your story uh, recently on uh, sportsnet.ca about the camp and uh, looking at some of the positions in a net. A couple of guys who have a lot of experience playing with Hockey Canada in the past, two guys and Joel Hofer and uh, Nico Dawes, who don't have any, but boy, it sounds like a lot of fans uh, or people have become fans of Nico Dawes this year and the way he's played in the O. And, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, uh, there's been a couple of returning guys. Cam Hillis is healthy this year, Montreal prospect. Uh, Pavel Gogolev has been dynamite. They've kind of carried the offense, but every single night, this guy's given him a, an opportunity to, to win hockey games. And, you know, he sat behind Anthony Popovich last year. He went and lost 25 pounds in the summer. He redistributed some of his weight, weight and strength on his frame, and he's come into this year with a with a boatload of confidence. So him being invited to this camp is is deserved. It's a bit of a departure from what we've seen in the past, based on guys having a lot of uh, program of excellence currency. He has none of it. So uh, I applaud uh, Hockey Canada and the selection team the selection group for for inviting him and i think he's got a real opportunity that he's going to see some ice overseas i i truly believe that the other part is the analytics and 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 again you know i'm i'm a little bit wishy-washy on the analytics thing but the analytics say that he's been uh, arguably the best goaltender in the chl all season interesting Uh, olivier rodrigue hunter jones the other two who do have that background with with hockey canada we'll see how that plays out when i look at the uh, the blue line group that's here for hockey Canada, one thing stands out. Well, Kevin Ball stands out because he's six foot six. But outside of that, generally speaking, they're fairly average-sized defensemen. A lot of lots of mobility, lots of puck moving, but 
uh, maybe a bit of a departure from what we'd see five, ten years ago where it was big bruising, a sort of punishing uh, blue line for Canada. And that's that's kind of just indicative of the way the game is now, isn't it? No doubt. And that's the way they want to play. They want to move pucks quickly. They want the back end to be mobile, D to D, and then get up the ice in a hurry. So that's the that's the planning here. That's the idea. That's how uh, Dale Hunter wants to play. And I think he's got the personnel to, to play in that vein. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think size is much of an issue. Having said that, you know, Ball does a lot of good things with his reach, with his size uh, that others on this blue line can't do. And the same can be said about uh, Braden Schneider as well. So, it's going to be interesting to watch those two guys. The way I see it is probably one of them makes it and one of them doesn't because I think they do a lot of similar things. Hmm. Ball is the older player. He's got his head coach, um, Andre Tournier, on the bench, so he's got a big supporter there. And Schneider comes in kind of young and free and probably at the start of the year didn't expect this to happen. So he might be playing a little looser, a little freer than, than what Ball might. That's going to be interesting, but I think of the two, probably one of them makes it. Speaking of young, what are there, five or six draft-eligible guys uh, in camp right now? Yeah, well, I think I think all told seven first-year guys. I mean, if you include Lafreniere, who's a returning player. Right. Uh, but you look at Perfetti, Drysdale, Byfield, Schneider, Zeri. Uh, who am I missing there? I'm missing one or two more. But uh, of that group, uh, you know, very, very impressive uh, list, list of players. No question about it. It's, it's been fun to watch these guys kind of come to the rink and kind of fit right in. Um, and it's they're going to have some interesting decisions to make here moving forward with, with this young group, no doubt. There's, I mean, traditionally it's kind of a 19-year-old tournament, but we've seen years where it's guys in their draft year who dominate. I go back to Helsinki, and that year seemed to be in 2016. It was dominated by guys who were, were draft eligible. Could that be a case here for Canada this year, or do you expect the leaders to be the older guys? Well, I think the leaders are going to be the older guys, but I think you're going to see some significant contributions from some of the younger players. I think Quentin Byfield is a guy that he doesn't necessarily have to play in your top six to have an impact. You know, he's good in all three zones. He's responsible. He's decent in the circle. And he's a guy that, with his size and reach, has skill that he can he can be a hurtful guy in the bottom half of your lineup. And I think the other thing about Byfield, we'll have to see if this comes true in these games here, but he may have uh, some positional versatility that no doubt will help him because I do feel that this team is going to be strong down the middle of the ice, especially if Barrett Hayden gets left back. Uh, Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet is my guest, CHL Insider. Now there's four guys in Canada's camp who are college guys. You don't get to see them play all that often. Jacob Bernard Docker, Peter Dilaberatori on the back end, as well as uh, Alex Newhook. And uh, the uh, Dylan Holloway, who's at Wisconsin draft eligible this year, have those guys made an impression on you? Were I've always kind of felt that they're a bit behind the eight ball in terms of games played compared to their CHL counterparts. But uh, do they have a chance uh, at this camp for you? Well, I think Jacob Bernard Docker, who won't play tonight, um, you know, he practiced this morning, so I think there's a real good opportunity for him. Della Veratour, I just don't know enough about. Uh, Newhook, I know they went in and watched him late. His game has started to pick up of late. He's playing a lot better. So he's going to have an opportunity to probably play lower in the lineup. Uh, and when it comes to Holloway, they like, they really like what he brings to the table because he's an energy guy, can bang and crash a little bit. There's a lot of really interesting pieces to his game. And even playing against older competition, which is something he's going to face at this tournament, he's excelled. Uh, in that in that role playing with Wisconsin. So he's going to be a real interesting guy to watch for me. But I think Bernard Docker of that group of four has probably got the best chances, and I'd say based on being scratched here, uh, you know, for this game, 
that we're talking about here on uh, on Tuesday would give me a good indication. Sam, it's Wednesday, by the way. Uh, Sam, uh, yeah. I'll be all right. Big, yeah, <laughs> big news out of the OHL yesterday with the restructuring in uh, North Bay and, and Stan Butler no longer behind the bench, and I think he's been the only coach that franchise has had. Um, that is definitely big news. What did you make of it? Well, you know, Stan's been at it for a long time. He had some health issues uh, last year where he wasn't behind the bench for, for a period of time, and I haven't had the chance to catch up with him yet um, in, in terms of how or if he's been able to, to kind of take care of that end of things. But I suspect that that played uh, part in the decision. Again, you know, I don't want to guarantee that because I haven't had the chance to speak with Stan yet. I wanted to let things kind of settle down. Mm-hmm. But the other part of that, Adam Dennis has been around a long time. He was a recruiter for the Ontario Hockey League. He's more than capable of being a general manager based on his playing experience and his uh, AGM experience. Um, and the other part of that is Ryan Ulan is the guy who started his coaching career there with Stan Butler. He played for Stan way, way back in the days when the team was in Brampton. You know, went on to Flynn. It didn't work out there. Uh, I think there were some issues that he, he needed to sort through, and it looks like he sorted through them. But everyone I've talked to about Ryan says that he's a good coach, and it might just be time where Stan is able to kind of take a back seat, be able to call his shots and schedule a little more and allow some of the younger group in terms of Adam and, and Ryan to really push this uh, franchise forward. I mean, last year is the first year that I can remember that that franchise didn't make the playoffs, and I think that was a, you know, a bit of a telltale there. Sam, we're back after uh, now with part two of this conversation. Uh, you've seen a game now tonight. Uh, anything stand out in Canada's uh, win over the U Sports All-Stars? Well, it's great competition. The pace was awesome, especially in the first 10 minutes. Uh, but you can tell that some of the U Sports guys are bigger, heavier. They leaned on uh, on the Canadian guys at times. But that's exactly what you want. You want that great competition because you're trying to make evaluations in, in a shorter period of time than you normally have to do. So... That's the thing that stuck out to me is just how, how tight the competition was. It was sort of what I expected. I'd seen a lot of those players play previously. Mm-hmm. I had a chance to spend some time with the eSports group on, on Monday night as a guest speaker, so I was really familiar with what uh, what they were doing and what they were going to bring to the table. It's a good addition, of, of, in my opinion, to the, to the uh, Hockey Canada camp, having that all-star team. I know they've done it kind of different versions over the years, but I, I like the way they do it now. You, you would agree that uh, it poses a, a pretty good uh, um, measuring stick for Team Canada? Oh, awesome. Like, like really, really good. You know, you're, you're talking about um, having to play against um, guys that are taking away time and space, and that's exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. And I think early on, I mean, Dawson Mercer, you know, 48 seconds into the game, tries to make touch pass that would work probably 10 out of 10 times in Drummondville. Instead, this thing gets picked off. It ends up in the back of their net right away. So that was a little bit of a lesson. I thought he struggled with the with the pace a little bit, and it's not that he can't play at that pace. Mm-hmm. It's just that I think he was a little bit overwhelmed by it. I'll, I'll be fascinated to see how he rebounds in the uh, in the game on Thursday, no doubt. How'd the goalies do? Yeah, the goalies were, I think, average. Um, you know, the second set of guys didn't get in until the 750 marks. So that would have been Jones and Dawes. And then, of course, they were able to get a little bit of additional time with the full four-on-four four play and then the shootouts thereafter. So I thought they were okay. And the assessment from Andre Tournier, who spoke on behalf of the coaching staff today, thought that they were, um, you know, wanted to look at some more tape. But uh, he didn't go on and say that any one of them was great. He said he thought all four were, were good. Which, which to me is a little bit slightly, uh, I guess, overstated, you know? 
All right, well, we'll see how the camp fleshes itself out. Well, let's get to some of the other stuff I wanted to uh, address with you and um, the, the whole topic of hockey culture. And I'm sure you're hearing a lot about it at, at where you are. We've seen the, the ramifications already, having followed, uh, well, certainly at the NHL level, uh, Swift Current uh, fired their uh, trainer slash uh, head equipment uh, manager not that long ago. And, and there's people that say, yes, the NHL is bad, but for, for coaches that have, you know are hard on players or abuse players, that there's much bigger issues at the junior level. I don't see it personally, but I'm not in the room. I'm not on the bus with the team, so I, I'm not in a position where I would see it. But you cover this. Uh, you cover the CHL uh, as much as anybody. Uh, what's your take on uh, on that thought about hockey culture at the junior level, and and if if there's a lot of uh, cleaning up that's going to have to happen? Well, you know, I think a lot of this is framed in that period 10 to 13 years ago, which is where some of the allegations have stemmed from when it comes to the National Hockey League. So if if you're talking about that period, you know, 10 to 13 years ago, was it worse? Yeah, of course it was worse. But, you know, CHL has made huge strides, and it's had to make huge strides. You know, part of, um, you know, the ongoing litigation um, has made the, the, the CHL really pull up its socks in terms of the ed- education packages, all the support that it gives its players in terms of uh, mental health support, the ability to have hotlines and, and essentially be able to, to go to anyone beyond the team and into the league if incidents that they feel are out of touch or, or not fair or not just, um, you know, are, are happening. But, you know, it extends beyond that in terms of the physical training, um, you know, the coaching that's available, the equipment that's given to all of these things are, are way better than they were 10 to 13 years ago. And I wouldn't have considered it bad when I first started doing games even 15 years ago. You know, the one thing you can say about it, I'm sure there are things that still happen. I'm sure there are a lot of disgruntled players who didn't feel that their lot with their particular team or in their particular league during their careers felt that they were underutilized, underplayed, not given a fair shake. And I think that happens anywhere in life. It's not just exclusive to, to what we see in junior hockey. So for people to go on and make those statements, Maybe in a time frame of 10 to 13 years ago, I, I might buy it. But as it currently stands, I'd say absolutely not. And I think those people should better educate themselves on what the Canadian Hockey League has been doing in order to try and become a, a much better, safer, supportive place for, for its players and for its club members. I think it's safe to say that uh, just society in general has changed a lot over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years, let alone you know the 80s and and things that happened back then, how how much we've changed as a culture, um, and I guess the hockey culture would be part of that too. So, you know, I'm, I guess I'm not shocked to hear about stories. It's it's if I was to hear a story today that would surprise me. And I guess we did hear a, a hazing story out of the queue uh, from uh, one of the import players whose name escapes me, uh, but that happened a couple of years ago, according to him. And and but hazing that's that's player on player more often than not. I mean, it's not a coach telling a player to go do something to some kid, right? Right, right. And, you know, some of that, um, obviously, um, you know, if brought to the attention of the team, that's obviously something that, that they need to take care of. And I right. think in, in a situation where that is brought to the team, then it has no choice but to go to the league level for whatever discipline needs to be levied out to those involved and to the organization for, you know, for allowing it to happen under their auspices. So, again, I think people are, I think they're a little out of touch when it when it comes to the junior game. 
I think that it's an, it's an easy punching bag because of some of the stuff that's been put out there as a result of the litigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it becomes a, you know, the low hanging fruit, if you will. But, um, you know, I challenge the people that are out there to go and educate themselves better and find out just how far the CHL has come in terms of the things that we talked about, the mental health support, um, you know, all the support that team teams are getting. A lot of them even have now their own sports psychologists. So if they're having issues inside the game that maybe don't extend to their lives at home and so on and so forth, that they can get help in that regard too. So, you know, there's been league policies put in place, the, the drug testing, all of these things are, are there to, to kind of support the player. So I would challenge the people that are, you know, making those, those overtures to, to really hunker down and educate themselves a little better. And by no means, Guy, am I saying is it perfect? Uh, you know, nothing is perfect in this world. Yeah. But there tends to be the spotlight now that's going to be magnified here for a little while based on what we saw in the National Hockey League level. And just as it is with the play, with the style of play, players, you're going to see those things trickle down from the National Hockey League to the CHL. That's just kind of the way it works. But, but again, you know, with what I've seen over the last, the 15 years of me being around it it's changed significantly yeah and i think some of it it gets a little hazy for me when it becomes a question about uh, how a coach uh, handles a player verbally and 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 where somebody might claim it's verbal abuse or, or or something like that you know i think everybody knows sexual abuse is wrong racial stuff is you know racism is wrong you can't cross those lines but when you're Trying to motivate, and I mentioned this with uh, Alan Miller, the GM of the uh, the Moose Jaw Warriors last week, uh, chatting with him about you know Tim Hunter's an old school guy. You, as a coach, you're dealing with 23, 25, maybe 30 personalities in a dressing room over the course of a season, and a coach that's been around for 20, 25 years. How many different personalities are you trying to juggle? And I, I, I make the comparison. I have two kids. Sometimes I have to parent them differently because one reacts differently to the same sort of uh, when you're trying to explain something one way to one kid, it's different. They re- they hear the message differently than the next kid. As a coach, I, you know, the, the comparison I'm trying to make, just that's got to be really tough to, to handle that many different personalities. And sure, you know, you tell me to pull my head out of my ass, that's one thing. But you t- say that to the kid next to me in the dressing room and he might feel completely different about it. And a kid on the other side of the dressing room might feel a different way about it. I don't know where you draw the line when it comes to verbally trying to motivate somebody and, and what crosses the line. Yeah, and the, you know, and uh, you're right. Everyone's line is different. But I'll say this. I mean, listen, you're going to face adversity in life, and there's no better vehicle to teach life lessons than within the, the framework of sport. Hmm. So there are some things here that we're trying to teach people at this level because a large majority of them are not going to play professional hockey as their career. So we need to be able to teach things. And how do you teach things with a little bit of adversity? Yeah. You know, but, and the next thing I'll say on that topic is I think one of the great arts in, in the, you know, on the profession of coaching is being able to find out and identify how to push the buttons of each of your respective players. Mm. It's a skill. You know, I think in the old days, everyone was painted with the same brush. You know, all the buttons were, there was one button that was pushed that applied to the whole group. We're going to yell and scream at you until you do what we tell you to do. Mm-hmm. And we might go over the line with some of our yelling and our screaming and some of our language, but you're going to do it. Doggone it, you're going to do it. So I think that's changed. So, you know, moving back to a guy like Alan Miller, 
it's incumbent upon Alan Miller uh, that when he's hiring people to work in his organization, that he goes and does his due diligence. Does this guy have the ability to be able to manage a group of players in a group setting individually? Can he push the buttons of various players individually and maximize the potential of each player? Mm-hmm. As a player, I, I want to be, I want to reach my potential. I can't do that on my own. That's why I have a coach. That's why I have these support systems around me. And yeah, I might be a little sensitive at times, but you know, let's have open, honest discussion and dialogue about these things. So, you know, I, I just used Alan Miller as an example because he's the guy you spoke to recent, yeah. recent most recently. Yeah. But if I look, I'm looking at, you know, Brad Tree Living, for example, whether he ends up going with Jeff Ward, to, you know, um, beyond this year, it's going to be incumbent upon him now to probably change his hiring practices. And he admitted this much. So he's going to have to go in and do some due diligence on the, on the person, on the background, but also as a general manager, he'd want to find a coach that's going to be able to push the buttons of each and every player and not necessarily do it with one stroke of a brush. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the genius in coaching and that's the genius in hiring a coach as well. Well said, Sam. Um, one last thing. You mentioned the ongoing uh, litigation uh, facing the CHL. Uh, recently, I think it just uh, last week or earlier this week, the Alberta government has uh, actually done every what every other province in the country has done and, and a couple of the states where uh, it's an issue as well. But they've uh, legislated that the, the players are all student-athletes and uh, are amateur athletes, so the whole paying thing, I would have assumed that that was the end of it, but apparently the litigation continues have a feeling on on where this is going and how much longer this is going to go on well i don't and it's been it's been you know uh, the alberta ruling obviously sort of brought it back to the to the fore uh, a little bit um but you know anytime you get lawyers involved the uh, the quick fix isn't necessarily what lawyers are looking for yeah that's not what makes lawyers money the longer they're on the clock the more they get paid yeah. and yeah there's some pro bono stuff going on but at the end of the at the end of the rainbow somewhere, someone's due to make something out of this one way or the other. Yeah. When I'm looking now um, at, at what's gone on here, um, where it exactly stands, I don't know. But when province after province is starting to agree with what the CHL is saying in terms of these players being rendered amateur athletes and student athletes, I think at some point, we got to kind of get the picture, get the point here, and and understand uh, what's gone on. Now, you know, I I think I've I've said this in the past. You know, the flip side of that is, all right, let's move forward. And if we're in a situation where you have to pay players, you kind of got to be careful of that too, because unfortunately, what's going to suffer are some of the the support programs that are currently in place. And it might not necessarily be the off-life support, which is supremely important. I don't think that would be affected much. But in terms of, hey, how many sticks are you going to get a year? How many sets of skates are you going to get a year? Um, how many coaches are going to be um, able to be afforded on a staff? Mm-hmm. So there's such a huge dichotomy between the bottom end of, you know, some of the teams that are that are losing money every year and some of the teams that are making a lot of money. And I think it's brought forward as some of the teams that are that have been profitable. But by the same token, those teams aren't going to have competition unless they're playing against some of the teams that aren't necessarily profitable. So what the motivation is for some of the teams that, that aren't making money, I, 
I don't know enough about the business side of it to say, but at the end of the day, province after province, state after state is ruling in a certain fashion that supports what the CHL uh, has brought forward. And I think, you know, like everybody else, we should understand and abide by the law. And although we may not disagree with it, uh, we may disagree with it. It is the law. Well said, Sammy. I really appreciate your time uh, once again. Uh, thanks for doing this a, a couple of times over the course of uh, one day. Uh, enjoy the uh, the rest of uh, Canada's camp. Uh, what's the next uh, CHL game that uh, you and RJ have? Yeah, pretty interesting. We're in uh, Hamilton on Saturday, and that'll be the Shane Wright-led Kingston Frontenacs against the Arthur Kaliev-led Hamilton Bulldogs. So right. uh, pretty excited for that matchup. It's two teams that are a little bit on the, on the on low part of the cycle. But I think they're evenly matched, and anytime you get to see an exceptional player such as Shane Wright and a player who's played exceptionally well, such as Arthur Kaliev, you can sign me up for that any day. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one, and I believe I saw that uh, there is a stop in Edmonton uh, on your broadcast schedule uh, just in, in January, isn't it? Yep, Jan 5th will be there, so I'm uh, looking forward to getting out there uh, You know, to see the Oil Kings. They're rocking and rolling right now, and... Um, yeah, the Riley Sawchucks, the Jake Neighbors, the Dylan Gunthers, the Matthew Robertsons, uh, and of course, Brad Lauer. Looking uh, forward to, to seeing how that group has come together this year. Looking forward to it, Sam. Thanks for your time. Okay, take it easy. I'll talk soon. Here's Sam Cosentino from uh, Sportsnet. You can tell in that conversation, I even said it uh, halfway through. Uh, this is part two of the interview. As I mentioned in the first segment of the show today, perhaps you're only hearing this individual segment. I did that interview in two chunks, once uh, on Wednesday morning, once Wednesday evening after the uh, the uh, Canada's game against uh, the U-Sport All-Stars. Um, so that's why it obviously sounded a little different because he was in two different places and uh, we had different things to talk about. So that's, uh, that's why the uh, difference there. So it was basically two interviews uh, spliced together. Appreciate uh, Sam's time. Um, w- w- first thing, one thing I want to say, uh, how about uh, some credit for the U Sports uh, teams? And uh, I know I saw Kendall McFall uh, tweeting, a former uh, WHLer, former uh, Saskatchewan Husky, uh, tweeting, uh, man, it'd be nice to see a little respect uh, from the mainstream media uh, about the quality of U Sports. As listeners of this show know, I've been talking U Sports a lot this season, have added it to the regular rotation of, of subjects and guests uh, to the uh, the Pipeline show this year. Uh, for that same reason, I think U Sports is vastly underrated and uh, want to give it more attention. And uh, so good on uh, U Sports uh, uh, splitting the series, the two games, with uh, Canada's national junior team. Second thing, really scary incident uh, in the Ontario Hockey League yesterday. Um, Tucker Tynan, goaltender for the Niagara Ice Dogs, uh, had a collision with a member of the London Knights and uh, took a really serious laceration Looks like it's on his leg. Uh, there's a ton of blood on the ice, and it looked to me like, and I'm not a doctor, but it looked like it was on his, uh, like on the upper half of his leg, so above the knee, but below, probably like where the pad uh, and the uh, the pants kind of there's that gap. I know there is a knee pad that goaltenders wear, but um, there was a ton of blood on the ice, and I've seen the video of there's a few videos, and saw some of them on uh, Twitter uh, just a moment ago, actually. A really scary situation. Glad to hear that uh, he's already recovering, that the, he had surgery. Quick action uh, by uh, both training staff uh, for Niagara and the London Knights and the doctors that were all there and the paramedics. Uh, that is gruesome and uh, scary. Uh, and glad to hear that uh, uh, the surgery has uh, worked out well. And uh, 
hopefully uh, Tucker can get back to action uh, and, and continue having what was already a really strong year for him. And he's draft eligible this year. So uh, really wishing the best for Tucker Tynan, guy who is on my short list to get uh, on the show. Uh, we might have to wait a little bit to obviously to do that now. Um, but uh, scary situation for sure. Wishing him all the best. Let's continue on with the show, and up next it'll be our In the Dub segment. Andy Eide from 710 ESPN in Seattle is my guest. He joins me next here on the Pipeline Show. Minnesota selects as the first pick in the 1988 entry draft from Prince Albert, Mike Medano. Hey, this is former Prince Albert Raider Mike Medano, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Go Raiders, go! Go Raiders, go! The green, white, and gold theme is Go Raiders, go! Take on the roughest and welcome the toughest, but the song in Prince Albert is Go Raiders Go. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Oh my. It's the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Let's get to our In the Dub segment brought to you by dubnetwork.ca. Keep up to date on everything happening around the world of the Western Hockey League by uh, visiting Dub Network on a regular basis. Another way you can do it is going to sportsnet.ca. Uh, and I believe Andy Ide, uh, who joins me once again from uh, 710 ESPN in Seattle, you do some stuff with Sportsnet, don't you? Or you did at one time. Yeah, I did for a couple of years there, yeah. Not anymore, though? <laughs> Not anymore, no, no, no. They they made some changes with their junior co- coverage, so still with, still with ESPN Seattle, though. Okay, ESPN Seattle, we'll stick with that. Well, welcome back to the show, and uh, I know it's it's kind of interesting times here in the WHL as uh, the trade deadline gets a lot closer. We're starting to see some uh, trades of a little bit more significance uh, happening, and uh, as the, the standings uh, start to kind of uh, solidify themselves as in regards to who are the clear buyers and who are the clear sellers. And uh, it seems to me when I look at the standings, there the uh, the sellers. There's probably a lot more buyers than there are sellers, and what the sellers have, I don't know how much interest there is out there. Uh, what's your take on the uh, what the temperature is in the WHL right now in terms of trades? Yeah, well, we, we've seen some some pretty significant trades here in the last you know couple of weeks. Uh, where I'm at here, we saw Matthew Wedman mm-hmm. uh, get traded from Seattle to to Kelowna. We know Kelowna is going to be a buyer uh, as they're the host of the Memorial Cup, and. You know, the thing, the interesting thing about this year is you mentioned there's a lot of buyers, and there are, because I don't think there's a real clear-cut favorite this year. We've seen that in years past where, you know, with Prince Albert last year or, or the, you know, uh, Brandon or Swift Current the year before. Like, those teams going into the season, they're, they're going to be they're going to be the top dogs. But I don't know if there's a surefire bet this year. So I think that makes it a little more interesting because a lot more guys, a lot more teams think that they can, if they can get a guy or two that they, they could become that team. Um, you know, and Kelowna is obviously the big wild card. Last time the Memorial Cup was in the WHL City, it was one of the crazier trade deadlines we've ever seen. I'm not sure it's going to be quite that crazy this year. Yeah. But I think we'll see some, some more moves here. This next month is going to be an interesting one. Well, and maybe we'll start with the, with Seattle. Obviously, they make that trade uh, with Matthew Wedman leaving town. They are clearly in seller mode. But what exactly do they have to, to offer other teams in the league that other teams in the league would be lining up to get? Yeah, well, I think Matthew, Matthew Woodman might have been the, the big last piece. Uh, you know, they had the, at the Benham draft, they traded Dylan Hamilluck and Jake Lee to Kelowna, so they'd already kind of made one big sort of sell move. Yeah. Uh, and they are in a position where they're building for the future, and they're looking to acquire a, a trade picks or a draft picks they can get. You know, the only the only player that I think could possibly get Garner some interest right now would be, you know, Roddy Ross, the goaltender. 
I'm not sure that that Seattle's looking to move him though. So I think they could be done as far as significant trades go. I think that Wedman trade might have been their big their big sell uh, through the season. You think Ross is back next year as a 20 year old? I mean, Philly. I, I'm a Flyers fan. I, I kind of know what their depth chart looks like, and I don't think they're necessarily looking to sign a uh, a goaltender and, and start him on the farm as a 20 year old. So uh, he could very well be back next year. Could be, which would make which make would make for an interesting situation. You know, Seattle has Blake Light as a backup they like, and they have a, a younger uh, prospect, a 16 year old goaltender, Thomas Milich, having a great season. So at some point, they want him in the WHL. That Seattle goaltending situation will be one to watch here, whether it's this trade deadline or whatever. All right. Well, the other team out west that uh, clearly would be sellers would be the Prince George Cougars, and I could see a couple players that would be of interest uh, for other teams uh, from the. Uh, from the Cougars, like Cole Moberg, potentially even goaltender uh, uh, Taylor Goche, but I'm not sure that necessarily the the Cougars are looking to move those guys. So, what, what do you, what's your take on the Cougars and what they could be doing? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think both the goaltenders are pretty good. Uh, uh, they both were, you know, first round banner picks, uh, and they're 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 struggling. But they are they have been somewhat good defensively as far as giving up goals. Uh, you know, the, the problem with moving a goaltender in this kind of process, I'm not sure of the teams that would be buyers. Most of them are, are somewhat set in the, in their goaltending situation. You know, there could be an upgrade here or there. You know, Camus might look at, or not Camus, Kelowna might look at upgrading a little bit. Um, you know, I don't know if Prince George would sell within their, their division. That's always a little tricky. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to be curious to watch that too. I, the, the goaltenders, you know, oftentimes you see goaltenders move, uh, at the deadline, but there's got to be a need for him somewhere, and I'm not sure that there's a big enough need where you're going to, you know, expend a lot of assets right now. I've said since the start of the season, I see Taylor Goche finishing the year in Calgary. Now, I don't know if that will happen. I don't have any, you know, insider tip on that. But Calgary kid, to me, Calgary the Hitman look like a team that's all in this year, and I think they could use an up, upgrade in in that. Yeah. That is that is one team that I think probably could be in the goalie market. Uh, out west, uh, the things are. I mean, there are four teams who don't make the playoffs, and and I don't know that it's cut and dried just yet. That the the you know right now all those four teams would be Red Deer, Moose Jaw, Regina, and Swift Current. Um, you know, Red Deer is still maybe thinking they could uh, squeak in, but I think they're kind of going into the season knowing it was going to be a rebuild year anyway. Uh, what does Moose Jaw, Regina, and Swift Current have to offer the rest of the league? Do you think the Warriors could move Braden Tracy? Yeah, that's you know I I don't see why they wouldn't at least take the calls, right? I mean he's a good player and and I think a player like that, uh, you know, an offensive player, a drafted player, um, there's there's some teams that could definitely use him, you know, especially out in the West. I think I think an Everett could could use a a boost up front. Uh, that that might be a good trade partner. I'm not sure what Everett has left with him, but I definitely think you know acquiring draft picks if you're Moose Jaw and you you want to look ahead a couple you know a year or two that that might be worth doing. Uh, I think he would be the probably the big the big get off of that roster. Uh, I think for sure he would be. My question would be if if he's back next year or not. I mean, he's signed now by Anaheim, but not old enough to play in the American Hockey League next year. So, uh, does you know is his value maybe worth more next year for Moose Jaw to move him next year instead of this year? I I don't know the answer to that, but or or you're going to get more for him this year if if you know somebody's willing to take that two year or a year and a half, I guess. Uh, run with him so that'll be interesting to watch you know if you want him now if you want him badly enough now you have to pay a little more yeah right uh now i don't know what swift current regina have left uh i mean if you're looking to pick <laughs> pick off the carcass of teams i mean regina's made a bunch of they've shuffled the deck chairs a lot this year with small trades they've made 
so is Swift Current. They've even traded between them each other, I think, uh, at points this year. But you know, if you're looking, if you're a team looking to buy, are you almost trying to find a team that kind of like when Brandon traded Kale Clegg a couple of years ago? They were in second place in their division, but decided they weren't going to go for it, so they moved. You know, they made big deals. Do buyers this year maybe have to look at teams who are within the playoff picture, but might not be uh, contenders? You know, that's a really good point. I, I, I agree with you. I don't know what what Regina or Swift Current have left to to offer anybody really. I mean, they, as you said, they have shipped out most of their good players. We saw Swift Current make a, a trade earlier. Uh, that's a good point. You know, that that might be what you have to do, but of course you're going to have to pay a little bit more for that. Like yeah. you saw what Brandon got uh, in that in that Clay trade. And so, uh, and so that's the that's the thing I'm wondering about with the Memorial Cup here in the Dub this year. That that we could start seeing some of that. You could start, you know, this. The same thing like Tri City and say, hey, what well, we take to get Sasha Matala out of there? You know, they're they're right on the cusp. They're the last playoff team in the West. You know, and again, I don't know that. I'm just throwing that name out there. I don't know that he's on the market or not. Right. But if someone knocks Bob Furry Socks off, maybe he listens to that. You know, that, that that's a, so those are, those are teams you're going to want to look at. Uh, the ones that are just kind of hanging right there on the bubble. Now Saskatoon, an interesting team right now. They've they've never been afraid to uh, pull the trigger. Uh, with the uh, with oh. trades in Saskatoon, and they've kind of been struggling here as of late. They know they're not getting Kirby Doc back now, so their window almost—I mm-hmm. don't know if it closed on them uh, or not. But uh, what do you think Saskatoon opts to do? Yeah, that that you're right. That is interesting team. Uh, you know, I, I thought they were going to be really good, assuming Kirby Doc came back. Right. Um, obviously, he didn't. Uh, you know, that's a big, huge uh, uh, blow to them. So, that, do they start? Re- reevaluating now where they are, you know, and, and it's a team that's given up a lot of goals. Uh, you know, maybe they look at the landscape and think, okay, we, you know, we're not, we're not really, uh, <laughs> going to go very far. Even if we do get in the playoffs, that might be what they have to assess. And maybe they do start selling off. They could be one of those things we were just talking about that, right. you know, try to find, uh, you know, whatever they can get for, for an established player. Um, you know, they don't really have like any, anybody who's going to knock your socks off necessarily. But, you know, there's some solid guys there. You know, there's, there's some of the guys that are at the top of their, their leaderboard, uh, could provide some depth for a team, especially a team that already has a lot of pieces that's, that's making a run. And, you know, maybe Saskatoon can then, you know, build up some assets to make some moves down the road next year. Yeah. I don't know if, you know, if, if Scott Walford would be available or not, but I think he would be of interest uh, to some teams, especially the ones that, uh, that need yeah. a defenseman and might have room for to add a defenseman but i have no idea if saskatoon is entering uh, uh, that sort of conversation uh, or not um closer to home for me the edmonton all kings well they might have a, a an opening on the blue line uh, Connor mcdonald has been away from the team for a while now and i'm not sure uh, what the situation there is but um you know we we just saw the medicine at tigers make a fairly significant deal with the vancouver giants they just laid a beating on mm-hmm. on saskatoon here a couple of days ago do teams like Calgary, like Edmonton, maybe even Lethbridge, do they have to do something now to keep pace after Medicine Hat made a big move? I would, I would think so. I, I know that, that that division is pretty tight, right? And, and there's a lot of goal scoring in that division. So, you know, Medicine Hat already was one of the top, if not the top goal scoring team in the league, and they're getting, they're getting stronger now. Uh, so, yeah, if you're Edmonton, you're looking at them just two points behind you with a couple games at hand. And I think you're going to have to match, you know, match that pace. Not that the games aren't strong goals themselves but do they have the firepower now with that revamped medicine hat team and they maybe not maybe they look at bringing in one of those scores that we talked about yeah i just don't know who's out there that's available uh, for teams to bring in that's, yeah 
that's what's going to be interesting, right? Is, is that there aren't tons of you know? It's, I think this year there's been a lot of trades already. You know, we we, saw, we talked about Wedman. You know, Ed, uh, Everett went out and got Fonstad earlier in the year. Uh, you know, uh, Hughes went to Kamloops earlier in the year. So there's been such scores that went earlier, way before the trade deadline, which does kind of deplete the market here coming up in the next month. Mm-hmm, for sure. Andy, the uh, the news here this week, the uh, WHL confirming there's going to be a, a big Bantam tournament um, that's played in in your neck of the woods, aren't you? You're right in Seattle, aren't you? So uh, it, yeah. it'll be yeah. something you can uh, follow for sure. Plus the uh, two-round American draft. Uh, from your perspective, uh, what do you make of those developments for the league? Yeah, well, I think it's pretty exciting. Uh, you know, before the Seattle game last night, uh, Commissioner Rob Robinson was here and, and had a little press scrum, so we got to ask him some questions. And you know, they're, they're presenting this as, as kind of a twofold with, with two goals in mind. One is to, you know, with the NHL coming here to Seattle, uh, the, the NHL is working with with the WHL and with the U.S. division teams to just raise hockey's awareness. And so they think that this tournament could, you know, do some of that. Uh, you know, we haven't had a lot of you know high end banner programs here. Uh, but the other thing, which I think is really the more the thing the league's really looking at, is to, to recruit more American players. And I know you wrote about this, and you know Robinson didn't really pull any punches. He just talked about how it's important to identify more U.S. players here. Uh, you know, U.S. hockey has grown; uh, it's it's number two in the NHL. But if you go down further, you know, U.S. hockey last year uh, reported that they had a record number of, of youth under eight getting into entry hockey programs, whether it's learning how to skate or those try hockey for free things they do. So they feel that that's an indicator of a further explosion coming. And, and if you look at where the, where that's, where it's growing, it's in California, it's in Arizona, it's in Texas, it's in kind of the region that would fall under the WHL's uh, jurisdiction. And so I think this is a good time to start really getting some inroads in there. And from what I understand that the WHL hasn't done the best job of, of presenting its benefits to some of those, you know, American players. We talked to Dustin Wolf uh, from the Arizona tips who's from LA uh, you know, what it was like growing up, you know, did he know about the WHL? And, uh, he talked about how, you know, college hockey, NCAA hockey does, has a really good, you know, presentation to, to why you should do that, why you should go that route. And he didn't think the WHL had enough of that. And so I think this is something they're looking at as a step in that direction. Bring those California banner programs. And there's also the team from Arizona and, and, uh, Texas coming, mm-hmm. get them into a WHL facility, see what the building's like. There's going to be a Seattle game they're all going to go to, you know, a tech game. So bringing the families here, they feel it might be a better strategy than just the, the prospect camps they've been having in Anaheim and Arizona, where you kind of detached from the WHL lifestyle. Yeah, I I don't see any downside to uh, either of these moves, the draft or the the uh, the Bantam tournament, and bring all those uh, those teams and their families and the players in. Uh, yeah, I don't see a downside to it. And when you talk about the growth of, the, of hockey in the states, and you mentioned some of those markets, they all happen to be where NHL teams are. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah. There is an NHL team on its way to your backyard. Now we've got four WHL teams in the state of Washington. There's a BCHL team in Washington. Is there a strong currently uh, like minor hockey league system in your state already? It's it's there it's it's a good one. It's a quality program, but just the numbers. There's a couple of factors that are limiting it from being a top one. One is uh, lack of ice, the physical you know problems of not having enough sheets of ice. Right, right now, uh, there's not a sheet of ice in the city limits of Seattle. Now the NHL team is going to build a three sheet facility. Uh, Snow King, which is one of the youth organizations here, is they have rinks out in the suburbs, and they're building a new two sheet uh, rink, which will be ready next year. 
So that's one of the problems that there've been. And what we've seen is when good players start coming out, start popping up here in Seattle, they have to go somewhere else to play their Bantam years and midget years. Right. Um, there's been some a lot of recent examples of that, like uh, Dylan Gambrell, who's playing for the Sharks now, grew up in Seattle or just north south of Seattle. He went off to play the Colorado Thunderbirds you know, when he was 14. Uh, the, the Seattle Thunderbirds have a, have a kid from local, locally here, uh, Mackay Sanders, who had to go to you know Detroit. So that's what, what that's kind of the pattern, I think. Eventually, when the NHL comes here, it'll 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 put pressure to build more rinks. There'll be more kids playing, and, and I think you'll see what you see what you're seeing in Los Angeles now. And you know, the, the Southern I grew up in Southern California a long time ago, and it's amazing to me that that's now uh, kind of a hockey hotbed for the U.S. California is yeah. the biggest growing hockey state in the U.S. right now. Uh, uh, I talked to a guy from the LA Junior Kings who are coming to this tournament. And he, they have 35 teams now, and he said if they had more rinks, he said they, they, they're busting, bursting at the seams right now. They could probably they have 30, 35 rinks in that area now, and he said they could fill 100 of them. Exactly, exactly. The players are there. You got to get the players to yep. come to the dub. All right, Andy, that was awesome. I really appreciate your time. Uh, where can uh, people here, and uh, if you're writing, where can people get your stuff? Uh, well, all over the place. Uh, you can find my you know Thunderbirds coverage on ESPN Seattle. Uh, I'm doing stuff with NHL.com, covering the Seattle story here. Uh, I'm doing some stuff with uh, NHL2Seattle.com, and then uh, I do some radio. Uh, I have a podcast, Sound of Hockey podcast, that I'm on as well. Uh, so, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place. Awesome. What's the podcast called? Sound of Hockey. Excellent. That's why I asked so that people can uh, give it a listen as well. Andy. Yeah, I appreciate it. Give us a listen. Great to catch up. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Guy. Anytime. That's Andy Eide from ESPN 710 in Seattle. And, uh, yeah, I think those uh, two developments by the WHL, uh, I think they're fairly exciting, actually, for the league. Uh, I think anytime you can expose your league to more a potential player base uh, and uh, and a fan base, for that matter, uh, I think that's a good thing. And uh, I think the American draft, uh, you know what, uh, only time will tell if it works or not. But uh, I actually think it, uh, I think it could and it should um, because it's a little bit different than, I mean, the Q does it already and has done it for a few years, but I think trying to draw American players from southwestern United States to western Canada, probably a little bit different than trying to draw them from New England, where there are tons of uh, NCAA uh, programs to pick from, and bringing them into uh, the Maritimes or into French-speaking Quebec. Uh, so I think it's a little bit different, uh, and I think the WHL will have more success with that. Next up is the NCAA campus report. The uh, University of North Dakota is uh, back on top of the NCHC division or conference. And a big reason for that is the play of uh, Canadian Jordan Kawaguchi. We're going to get to know him next here on the Pipeline Show. Hey, it's Tyson Jost from the Pentecton Bees. Jost racing back at center by himself. End to end. Jost shooting. Scores! Listen to the Pipeline Show. One hopeful road that my mama showed to me from the moment I first met Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. NHLers Kyle Turris. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! And Duncan Keith. Future NHLers Tyson Jost and Dante Fabro all took the campus route. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world!
You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Yes, that's awesome. It's the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Time for our campus report, and for that, we're heading down to North Dakota. But as always, the NCAA campus report brought to you by our friends at College Hockey Inc. If you are a player or you have a player in your family that is exploring all their options, want to know what you need to do to maintain your NCAA eligibility. Well, College Hockey Inc., great place to answer some of those questions. You can also get in contact with Mike Snee or Nate Ewell, and uh, they will steer you in the right direction as well. My next guest did go the college route. He is Canadian, Jordan Kawaguchi from uh, North Dakota. Welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you, Jared? Good. How are you? I'm doing terrific, uh, but uh, the, the the Fighting Hawks are on fire this year, and uh, you're leading the charge. Uh, things have gone uh, pretty well for you and the team. Uh, why do you think things have uh, gone so well for you here in the first half of the season? Um, I think uh, we were just <clears throat> we came into the season hungry and, and ready to go, and um, I think the last two years haven't gone the way we wanted. And um, you know, we kind of just said, "Hey, let's let's change our outcome of the season," and um, you know, we just came in ready to go and and uh, firing all cylinders. A record of fourteen one and two right now as you get uh, set for. I guess you have the Christmas break now. Uh, you don't get back at it until uh, just after Christmas uh, with an exhibition game against the U18 squad. But honestly, when you look at the schedule, you have one blemish against Minnesota State. They happen to be the number one ranked team. You guys are ranked number two, so no harm in that. Uh, when you look at the, at the record so far, I mean, there's there's really – you can't look back on it and, and feel like you, you had very many off nights, I'm guessing. No, no. Uh, I think, you know, I think we <clears> – <throat> that one game against uh, Mankato, I think we we know that uh, we have a chance to beat those guys. And, you know, they're a very good hockey team. But, uh, you know, we we feel like we can – we have a chance to, to beat them again. And, um, you know, we can we can play with the best of the, best of the teams. And I don't think uh, – I don't think, like you said, we had uh, very many off games. But, uh, you know, there's, there's some nights where things aren't going our way. And um, – you know, we just kind of found our found a way to get that win. There's some uh, really lopsided victories for uh, North Dakota this year. Eight one against Canisius uh, stands out. Seven one against Miami. You beat Denver uh, by a score of four one, and then you blew out to the Golden Gophers nine three uh, fairly recently, and just did it to the uh, Western Michigan Broncos as well eight two. And some of those lopsided victories were on the second day of the weekend series. It's pretty tough to get a, a sweep let alone uh, win that second game by such a, a lopsided margin. Uh, how, why is that happening? How is that happening for North Dakota this year? I mean, you guys, it's it's one thing to win on Friday night, but to follow it up on Saturday with a lopsided victory, that does not happen often. Yeah, no, for sure. I think uh, we always we always say uh, after Friday night, you know, if we if we if we do in that first game, uh, we come in Saturday and we always say the hardest thing to do in college hockey is to get get a sweep mm-hmm. um and you know i think for the last the last two years we've either won friday and lost saturday or we've lost friday and won saturday but, you know it's kind of gone back and forth and we haven't really been able to put a full weekend together and um i think we we established that earlier that you know the first game doesn't mean anything unless you win the first game or the second game sorry and uh so yeah we we learned that early and um we've just kind of put that into action Jordan Kawaguchi from North Dakota, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, Jordan, this is year three for you at UND, and uh, last year you had a good season, 10 goals, 26 points uh, through the year. You're almost at that point now and still have a half a season to go. What's the biggest thing that's changed for you on an individual basis uh, that you could chalk up to this big jump in production? 
Um, you know, I, <clears throat> I think it's just confidence. Um, you know, last year, I think obviously, you know, we, we didn't have the, the strongest of years and even the year before that. And I think that kind of affects, uh, the way that, you know, each individual player feels about his game. And, uh, I think, <clears throat> I think everyone, including myself came into the year and said, Hey, this is a new year and, uh, let's just go do what we do. And, um, you know, I'm pretty lucky. I'm playing with some, some pretty good players and, um, you know, I, I just, kind of put, we've kind of put our head to the head down and gone to work so well and that leads me to my next question who have your line mates been for the most part this year does uh coach barry uh mix it up often yeah so uh for i would say most of the year now i think uh it's been colin adams and and uh grant mismatch well and that's interesting because they're not you know the, i mean adams is what fifth in team scoring and mismatch is, is further down than that so it's not like you're playing just with it's not like it's a a one line team i guess when you can spread the offense like that around uh that makes it pretty difficult to face you guys no for sure i think we have four lines and you know our sixty that that can uh produce offensively any night and um you know, like you said, like uh, my line mates may not be, you know, top of the charts for points, but uh, I think if you, you especially like look at Colin Adams, like he's he's leading the nation and then plus minus, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that's that's part of our game as well is doing the little things right, taking care of our our D zone, taking care of the puck, you know, making sure there's not uh, too many too many bad turnovers, and um, you know, at the end of the day, that kind of just takes care of itself. I believe I looked up the roster, and I think you have four maybe five freshmen this year and that alone should i mean you have a, a, a not a young team a, an older more veteran team guys who have been around now for a few years yourself included that should also lead to to natural success doesn't it yeah for sure i think uh you know so my freshman year and then my my second year we had uh seven new guys each year and uh this year we only had five so i think with having that limited amount of new guys i think Everyone come. Everyone comes back. Knows the systems. Knows how to play, and it just makes it easier uh, on the freshmen to to come in and and kind of learn because everyone knows what they're doing. And mm-hmm. um, you know they've done an absolutely great job of coming in and working hard and and just getting to know how we do things here in, on campus. And um, yeah, they've been very very good for us here. And then when you do have a freshman and it comes in and a guy like Shane Pinto is one of your leading scorers, I mean that's that's almost an added bonus, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, he's, he's a very good hockey player. And, uh, you know, obviously he just got invited to the world juniors camp, uh, with team USA. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, he's would love to see him make that team. And, you know, he's, he's a very good hockey player, like I said, and, uh, he helps us out. I think, you know, there's <clears throat> some guys that fly under the radar, like, like Judd Caulfield and, and, uh, Harrison Blaisdell. Those guys, you know, they, they do the little things that, that uh <clears throat> some people might not see and um you know they 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 work hard for us every night so Jordan you mentioned the world juniors obviously Jacob Bernard Docker off uh, to that as well but for for team Canada you're Canadian and there's a lot of Canadians on the North Dakota roster that seems to to happen year after year with that particular program I know head coach Brad Berry's Canadian uh from Alberta and and before that uh, Dave Haxtell also uh, up from uh, the Edmonton area where I am at uh, the, the pretty nice connection uh, to 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 Canada and to players out west, especially, um, means uh, you got a lot of familiar faces. Maybe guys, maybe you didn't always grow up playing with, but maybe you've seen them along the way in your career at earlier uh, at, at uh, lower levels. Oh yeah, for sure. I think uh, 
you know, one guy I played against in juniors was uh, Gabe Bass. He played for Penticton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I <clears throat> was able to play against him for, I believe it was three years. And uh, now we're here together. And, um, you know, Blaze Bell, I, I had heard about him after uh, I left. And uh, now he's come in here and he's done a really good job for us. And been, been fortunate enough to play with him. And, um, you know, there's definitely a few other guys that uh, have moved on and, and uh, are now playing college hockey. I've I've been able to play against and, and play with, and I've uh, been super lucky that way. That's funny. Penticton's almost like a farm team for North Dakota. Colton Pullman played there. <laughs> Johnny Tyconic played there. Dixon Bowen played there. I know you got guys coming in uh, next year for that that are there right now. Jackson Keene also uh, spent some time in Penticton. So, uh, but for you on a yeah. personal level, uh, why was North Dakota the right fit? I've been to the Ralph. Uh, it's an unbelievable facility. Uh, Dave Haxtell gave me a tour, uh, and uh, so I got to see it uh, backstage and all that stuff. It's unbelievable. It's it's hands down the nicest non-NHL building that I've ever been in. Um, I imagine when you first went down for your visit, you must have been blown away too. But um, put it, use your words. Uh, what did you think uh, when you first visited uh, the campus? Yeah. So. When I first flew down, I uh, obviously had seen the videos of, of you know all the uh, all the dressing room and and stuff and and uh, everything like that. But you know, I, it doesn't really hit you until you get into the rink and walk into the room and see everything and and see the guys and and everything and all that <clears throat> all that kind of stuff. And um, you know, for me, I think it wasn't you know obviously they. For every recruit they bring in, they they bring out the bells and whistles and and do a great job recruiting and um, obviously that's it's a big part of it. But for me, it wasn't even the the rink. It wasn't the you know the the fans that that we got. It was it was the guys that were in that locker room. And um, when I got here, they <clears throat> not one of them hesitated to come up and and say hi and introduce themselves and um, you know talk to me, get to know me a little bit and. Um, you know, one guy that I actually met on my visit was, uh, Brock Besser. Um, and he's, you know, obviously making, making a lot of money and playing for Vancouver now, but, um, you know, he, I remember he, uh, he and I sat in the stands watching, uh, morning skate, uh, for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, he, we sat there and talked and, you know, I just kind of knew after, you know, if, if someone like that can, can take time out of their day and sit with a recruit that he doesn't even know. And, and, uh, that's the program that I want to be a part of. And, um, you know, I was <clears throat> obviously super lucky enough to, to get the opportunity to play here. And I'm very happy that I chose to be a, uh, UND, uh, occupier. Well, that's, that's an awesome story. Now, do you, do you take that experience from, you know, when you were the recruit to now when recruits come to town, I mean, do you, do you play that Brock Besser role and do you kind of show those other guys uh, what it's all about? <laughs> I wouldn't say, uh, I'd take the Brock Besser role at all. Yeah, that's some pretty big shoes to fill, obviously, but, uh, no, I, he, <clears throat> he did a great job and I think all of our guys do, do the same thing. And, um, our coaches really, really praise that, you know, make sure that this kid feels at home when he, when he comes in and cause, you know, it's definitely hard for a young guy that doesn't know anyone to come in and really, you know, feel comfortable. And, uh, you know, I think we, we do a great job of just, you know, talking, talking to the recruit and, and making sure that he knows that, you know, it's not, you're not just coming here to play hockey. Like you're coming here to, um, uh, be a part of a family and, and, uh, achieve something great. 
Uh, Jordan Kawaguchi is my guest. He plays at North Dakota. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're from Abbotsford? Yeah. Now, as a kid growing up there, I mean, you're in the WHL's backyard. I imagine a lot of your friends that you grew up playing with probably went the WHL route. Why was the college route the, the, the better choice for you? Why is it working so well uh, for you, Jordan? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I did have a, have some friends that signed in the WHL and, um, you know, mostly my, my older friends that I grew up playing hockey with. Um, and, you know, a couple, a couple guys that were my age, but for the most part, I think the guys I played with growing up were, were kind of playing in the BACHL and, hmm. um, you know, I, my 16 year old year, I didn't really know where I was going to play. And, uh, you know, I went into Chilliwack and, and had a tryout and, um, was lucky enough to make the team there and, uh, which is 20 minutes away from my, my hometown, which is awesome. It's, you know, it was a great opportunity for me and I uh, spent four years there and, um, you know, I had opportunities to, to go to the major junior route, but, you know, I, I was talking to my parents and, um, you know, people around me that, you know, are pretty smart within the hockey world. And, um, you know, I just felt more comfortable with what I was getting out of the college route and being able to develop uh, over a longer period of time and um, ultimately getting my uh, college degree and uh, setting myself up for after hockey. And, um, you know, obviously it's, it's a big part of life. Now, I know some guys who go to college uh, might be done their education. Uh, they'll have their degree after three years. Uh, where are you uh, in that, uh, you know, when it comes to academics, where are you? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm the smartest, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll graduate on time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll graduate on time, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not in any rush. I'm not trying to get it done too quick, but, uh, no, uh, you know, like I said, I'll graduate on time and um, I'll have that degree. So, I remember uh, talking with Dylan Simpson, who was a captain at North Dakota a few years ago, and he told me uh, if they'd have let him play five years, uh, he would have come back for his fifth year. And you know, pro hockey is is obviously the goal for a lot of players, but uh, you can only spend so much time at, at college. After a season like you're having right now, I'm sure there will be offers coming your way. Do you know what your plans are for next year already? Uh, I mean, would you consider pro deals now, or do you already know that uh, if you're coming back or not next year? Yeah, I mean, ho- hockey is always kind of changing. I think uh, you kind of have to be ready for anything. But uh, as of right now, you know, I, I haven't really been been thinking about that a lot, and uh, I'm just focused really on <clears throat> one game at a time. Just you know, trying to help help my team win games, and um, you know, obviously that's something that uh, I'll have to think about at the end of the year. Hopefully, if I you know if I have a good enough year uh, at the end, and um, but yeah, I haven't had to really put much thought into it, and. Um, like I said, I'm just trying to help my team win games and, and go from there. Excellent. Jordan, listen, I really appreciate your time. I enjoyed the conversation a lot. Uh, wish you the best of luck the rest of the way this year with North Dakota, and hopefully we'll uh, get a chance to talk again one day. Appreciate it. Thank you. Jordan Kawaguchi, one of the big reasons, maybe the main reason, that North Dakota is off to such a good start here in the uh, first half of the Division One season. Not the only reason, though. North Dakota much improved and uh, made mention it there. You know, some programs out there, they get 10, 11, 12 uh, freshmen. You know, it takes a year or two for those guys to to really get going. Uh, This year, North Dakota isn't one of those teams. Often they have been in the past. Uh, This year, five freshmen on the roster. And one of them happens to be one of their leading scorers in Shane Pinto. So uh, Ottawa Senators uh, draft pick. 
So that definitely helps when you have a, a more veteran team. And uh, Kawaguchi is just, he's, you know, three years in now, he's comfortable at this level and has really found and taken his game to a completely new level. Not a big guy, but who knows, in this day and age, maybe there's another player who uh, gets some free agent uh, consideration at the end of the year. We'll see. We go from the NCAA campus report to an update from the World Junior A Challenge. That's up in Dawson Creek, BC. A lot of guys who have played on Team USA, uh, which is basically a USHL All-Star team, have gone on to play in the NCAA and beyond. Well, we're going to chat with uh, J.D. Burke from EP Ringside. That's Elite Prospects. Uh, he's been up in Dawson Creek all week, taking in that event. I spoke with him yesterday. There's been uh, a couple of games that have gone on since then. Uh, we'll update you from the World Junior A Challenge next here on the Pipeline Show. Here comes Jaden Schwartz, pulls the trigger, pats into the deck, he scores! What a finish! Yeah, this kid's just special. Jaden Schwartz is just a special, special player. Hi, this is Jaden Schwartz from Colorado College. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. Light up your holidays with WHL Hockey Action. This Friday night, your Edmonton Oil Kings throw on the green and black, going toe-to-toe against the Swift Current Broncos. Come on out as we deck Rogers Place with Edmonton Spirit. The puck drops at 7 p.m. Don't miss your shot to see the Oil Kings live. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place starts at just $20 a seat. Save on day of game pricing now at oilkings.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with. If one of y'all says some silly ass name, this whole class is gonna feel my wrath. Gee Flaming. Son of a bitch. Back on the Pipeline Show, final segment for this week's episode. We're gonna head up to Dawson Creek, BC. We got the World Junior Championship a couple of weeks away, but the other uh, U20 uh, World uh, Junior Championship that's going on right now is the World Junior A Challenge, and that's happening in Dawson Creek, BC. JD Burke from. Uh, EP Rinkside and uh, Elite Prospects is up there right now and uh, has uh, somehow been able to shake off the flu or the cold to uh, join me today. Uh, JD, welcome to the Pipeline Show. I I was going to say, how are you? But I know you're not doing that well. Thanks for taking the time. How about that? <laughs> I've been better, I can tell you that much. But uh, no, the hockey's been great. I uh, got up here last Friday, so I had a chance to get settled in before the tournament and had a chance to take in every game thus far, except for the one played in Fort St. John. And uh, it's really been an interesting tournament. I mean, some some of the players that I came up here to see really have, have stood out in a big way. And I think you never want to overreact to the sample size of a small international tournament. And sure. uh, particularly in a handful of games, some of which might qualify as exhibition matches practically. But uh, there have been some real real movers here and, and really happy to join the program and, and let you know what I'm seeing. As you and I are speaking, it's Thursday, so there's uh, one more day of round robin. This uh, episode of the show will come out on Friday, and there are a couple of di- uh, games to go on Friday. Only one today, but it's a big one, as uh, Canada West will be playing uh, against the Czech Republic. They are the fourth and fifth place teams in the standings right now, so basically the winner of the game tonight 
uh, unless it goes to overtime and, and Canada West wins. And then it kind of gets confusing. What's the tiebreaker in that situation? If, if Canada West wins in overtime, they'd get two points. So they'd have four and, and the Czech Republic would have one for the overtime loss. They'd have four. Does it just go to the head to head? Yeah. I, I don't really know the rules there, whether it be a tiebreaker or not. I was actually talking with one of the tournament directors about that yesterday and, uh, didn't get the answer necessarily that I was hoping for. Hmm. Uh, but I guess we'll find out in due time. I mean, it's been a pretty wacky tournament. Uh, yesterday, for example, I saw a game, uh, finish twice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the shootout match that was treated like an NHL shootout when it was international. And, uh, they actually called it after Massimo Rizzo scored to give Canada a two, two nothing lead in that shootout and sorry, Canada West to be specific. And uh, unbeknownst to everybody in the crowd heading for the doors, there was another two shooters. Uh, so they actually dragged each team out of the locker room and uh, back onto the ice, put the nets back out there and uh, finished the shootout. Of course, Massimo Rizzo's uh, shootout goal ended up counting as the winner anyway, but that was a pretty interesting occurrence there. It's, it's uh, you know, it's a smaller town. It's, it's not exactly a, a big tournament in terms of, uh, the audience draw, so it, it doesn't get the the press I think that the World Juniors would, and, and that and that means that we're not getting these rules, you know, jammed into our face every thirty seconds. But right. uh, whatever the case, it's going to be an important game tonight for sure. Yeah, that one last night was weird. I was following along as you were tweeting it and texted or tweeted out the picture of just a handful of people that were still in the building to watch the end of that game because everybody had left. Uh, what was it like? Ten minutes after, like a, a a gap of ten minutes, and they had to bring everybody out for what a couple more shots each. Yeah, I think it was about ten minutes when they let people know, like the the few that hadn't made it to their cars yet, they rallied them and brought them back through the door uh, to to watch the game. And you know what? Uh, <laughs> they ended up waiting another ten fifteen minutes before the uh, the shootout actually started again in earnest. <laughs> and of course. Uh, you know, at that point, it's actually kind of funny. I was a little bit perplexed by some of the Russian shootout selections, but interestingly enough, we eventually got to see some of the players I expected out there, and um, it still wasn't enough to make up for the the gap that Canada built in the original three shooter portion of the shootout. So, pretty interesting situation there. Not something I've ever seen before, and I doubt I'll ever see anything like it again. At J. Dylan Burke is uh, J.D. Burke on Twitter. You can follow him there. He's my guest as we're uh, chatting about the World Junior A Challenge up in Dawson Creek, and I guess there was the one game in Fort St. John. Uh, let's talk about some of those players that have stood out in this tournament. Right now, it's the United States who is uh, leading the way in first place in the standings. They've played three games. They have a, uh, two wins in regulation and one overtime win, so they got eight of a possible nine points. The U.S. always does really well at this tournament. It's uh, basically a USHL all-star team. Who has stood out uh, from the Americans in your mind? Oh, I, I think one player that's really kind of separated himself from the herd has to be Brendan Bersan. And, I mean, a, a little bit hard to find him almost on that Chicago Steel team. And we know that the adjustment coming from uh, high school prep hockey can be uh, pretty, pretty enormous for players going into the USHL, right? It's a league that's not really overwhelming in terms of the, the offensive talent. Uh, you know, if, if you're a really high flying offensive player, you're usually one and done in that league, two and done at most. Uh, but it's really high on structure and, and that can kind of make life difficult for players like Brandon Brisson. But I think we're starting to see a player who has a foundation of skills, 
uh, be it his, his amazing puck skills, his, his amazing hands. Uh, he sees the ice exceptionally well. I love his offensive instincts, and he's just kind of emerged as a really fantastic problem solver for the United States, somebody who, uh, you know, always has a way to get himself out of a, out of a pickle and, and does a good job of drawing in opposing defensemen to create space for his teammates and always seems to have a knack for finding them. And we also got a chance to see that that thundering one-timer of his two the other night. And, and that was a hell of a goal. I mean, he sets up on the short side. He's low below the, the face-off dots. It's not the type of player. Uh, it's not the type of play, sorry, that you'd usually see ending in a slap shot goal short side, but Brendan Brisson found a way to sneak it in there. I think that he's really, really kind of arrived at this tournament after a, a like a good, not great start to his USHL career. And I, I wonder if this is going to be a stepping stone for him going forward. He's somebody who's kind of been on the fringe of the first round on a lot of publications. Uh, no way to tell where he is on the uh, in the NHL boardrooms, mind you. But uh, this could be a real lifting off point for him because, I mean, he's leading the tournament right now with eight points through three games, three goals, five assists. And the next closest player is teammate Gunnar Wolf Fontaine in the Chicago Steel two points behind him, right? So he's really emerged as the go-to player for this American team, and uh, it's, it's really seeming justified with the way that he's playing. I mean, just a really fantastic performance to this point in the tournament. And Fontaine, his teammate in Chicago, he, he's a 19-year-old, so there's a bit of a difference there, too, when you're looking at a draft-eligible kid that's leading the tournament in scoring. Pretty impressive uh, start here uh, for Brisson. The uh, second-place team are the Russians uh, right now. Uh, and again, they're uh, in action uh, tomorrow on Friday for the last uh, game of the uh, round robin, and that'll be against uh, Canada West, I believe. So that will be a, 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 a excuse me, that that'll be against the U.S. So that'll be a big game, uh, first place on the line there. Um, now for the Russians, uh, interestingly, because they're in second place, but uh, they don't have a regulation win uh, yet uh, in the tournament. Uh, they they have uh, one overtime victory and two overtime losses, so they got four points, good enough for second, but. Uh, they have not been able to to get a victory yet. Along the way, who, who of the Russians have made uh, positive impressions on you? Yeah, I mean, if the Americans are the front runner in this tournament, then uh, the Russians aren't far behind. And and I thought that going into the weekend, but now they've added Jan Kuznetsov to their team after his weekend of play with UConn, and uh, that's really kind of given them an additional di- dynamic on that back end, right? A big defenseman who can close gaps, who can play physical takes away a ton of space. He's really kind of one game in already made a pretty big difference. But I think the one player on Russia in particular that's, uh, you know, done himself a world of help, particularly as it's going to relate to where he stands in draft rankings, is I think the silly Ponomaryov. Uh, it's it's just, you, you look at the list of players in this tournament that have played better than him, and I, I think it's Brendan Brisson full stop. Uh, I, I don't think Ponomaryov has had a bad shift yet. He he's played a phenomenal two-way game, contributes at both ends of the ice. You know, his skating is a little bit wonky, but it's not bad enough that it can't be corrected. And his conditioning and enthusiasm are so good that it almost makes up for it. A little bit like uh, the silly Bud Colson last year, you know. You wouldn't teach somebody how to skate using tape of them, but they get to make up with it for, for just how well conditioned they are and how... Uh, how much energy and strength they have in their game. I mean, he he's just somebody who's taking the puck to the net on every shift. He's somebody who seemingly has eyes in the back of his head. We were showing him some clips yesterday after one of the Russia games, 
uh, we just collected a few highlights, myself and Mitch Brown, and we were showing him, you know, all these plays where he just seemingly finds somebody against the brain with a no-look pass, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I shoulder checked, and he can do it in a quarter of a second, right? He's just that that sharp. He's got that much alacrity. Uh, he can find his teammates very well. He likes to funnel the puck in high-danger areas in the offensive zone, and his two-way game is really refined, too. I think that he is really really done a wonder of good for his draft stock. And, you know, a lot of the scouts that I'm talking to are saying the same thing, right? Just really impressed with his game. <clears throat> and it's easy to understand why. Uh, and, and we got a feature coming out on him on EP rank side, uh, written by Mitch Brown too, that I'd encourage everybody to check out because the amount of good tape that we've got on him is, is just overwhelming. He's really making something happen on every shift. Uh, not necessarily a draft eligible player this year anyway, but Daniil Chaika, I mean, he, he's making some of the mistakes with the puck. I mean, his, his puck management isn't exceptional, but he's also, a, you know, somebody who's in his draft minus one season playing at the World Junior A Challenge. And he's still playing first pair minutes. He's playing at the top of both phases of special teams. His skating is phenomenal. He's a great uh, problem solver when he's trying to move the puck out of the defensive zone. He's really emerged as the best Russian op, uh, option on the blue line thus far in the tournament. And, I mean, for somebody at his age to do that, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, another player on the Russian team that that's really that seems to be finding his legs, and uh, you know, I think a lot of people take for granted, right? Like the Russian team at 32 hours of travel, just getting to Dawson Creek. Right. So it's it's not that surprising to me that they don't have a, a regulation win. Uh, the line, the language throughout the lineup is like, hey, we're going to find our legs. It's just going to take a little bit. And I think an example of that is Murat Kuznetdinov. I hope I pronounced that semi-properly. He, he's really just been a phenomenal two-way player for this team. He contributes low in the defensive zone. He takes excellent care of the puck. Skating seems pretty sound. I mean, he, he's obviously not somebody who's going to factor into the upcoming draft until, you know, at the very earliest, the second round, more likely the third or fourth. But... He, he really started to find his legs offensively last night against Canada West. And he's somebody who I'm going to be paying close attention to for the rest of the tournament because, uh, you know, like Ponomariov, he has a good knack for funneling the puck in the high danger situations for his teammates. A really good hockey sense at, at both ends of the rink. Uh, but, but really it's been his defensive play that stood out. I think he's been the best defensive forward in this tournament and, you know, that's a really solid foundation to build upon. If you can establish that first, I think now he's just got to find a way to get production going, and, and he's really going to start capturing people's attention when that starts to happen. Three other teams in the tournament we'll get to. Uh, Canada East is uh, third in the standings, tied with Russia for second spot, and they do have uh, one regulation time uh, victory, and it was a thumping of Canada West, which uh, is usually the uh, the reverse happens. Canada West is usually the stronger of the the two Canadian entries, but uh, JD, who, who with Canada East has, uh, has stood out for you? Well, I, I think that was one thing you have to consider with the, the Canada East and the Czech rosters, right? I mean, you look at them and you won't be, <clears throat> you won't be overwhelmed by the talent there. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be looking at many players that you can project to the NHL players that you can project to the NHL draft even, but they, they're, they're ex- experienced teams, certainly relative to, to Canada West to Russia, and to the United States. And that's kind of given them the ability to hang in there, whether talent suggests that they maybe shouldn't. Uh, one player that's really stood, uh, stood out for Canada East has to be Archeon Martino. 
Uh, he's a draft minus one committed to Clarkson next year, if memory serves. Uh, you know, he's right up there fighting for the points lead. He's got four points right now through three games, two goals, two assists. I mean, he, he got gifted one by Canada West, Michael Benning. We can talk about him in a little bit. But I think he's still played a consistently strong game. He pushes the pace, plays with tempo, can handle the puck at speed. Uh, you know, he's, he's really stood out in limited minutes and, um, certainly somebody interesting to follow, if not this year, because he's not draft eligible, maybe next year when he's playing at Clarks and in his first year of eligibility, because he, he's making a lot happen with not a lot of help. His hands are great. Solid skater. Not the biggest player. You'd like to see him add some muscle, but really, really easy to see him succeeding next season in the NCAA and making some noise for the upcoming draft. Marcel Barinka leading the Czech Republic in scoring. Correct me if I'm wrong. He plays for the Halifax Mooseheads, doesn't he? Uh, I can look that up for you. I have the technology as an elite <laughs> prospect employee. But, uh, yeah, no, if memory serves, yes, you are correct. And uh, this is his second year of draft eligibility. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because he's just lighting it up right now for the Czechs. And, I mean, he's a draft plus one who has six points in 27 games as a center, right? Not the, the sort of person that I'm using the highlighter on right. when I'm looking at my uh, my game logs, right? But, I mean, tip of the cap to the guy. He's producing anyway, right? And that's what matters. He's stepping up for this Czech team. And they were going to need their veterans to do just that. So, uh, all the credit in the world to him. It's, it's a team that doesn't have a lot of talent, but they've got a lot of fight. And I think that Marcel Barinka really kind of exemplifies that. He's, he's hard on pucks. He stays on top of the puck. Uh, he's really diligent defensively. And, uh, you know what? I think that this team is just out working its way to goals and he's been a lucky recipient on the, uh, scoring end of those plays. All right. Well, let's jump to Canada West End. You mentioned the name Michael Benning. There's Carter Savoy on this club. There's, there's lots of talent on this team, but they seem to be struggling. Uh, what's gone wrong and, and maybe comment on some of those, uh, the, the bigger name draft eligible guys from Canada West. Well, I think one of the issues I think is, is structural and the, the, the Canada West team, I'm not a huge fan of the breakout structure, right? You're seeing a lot of plays where the defensemen have at least two, sometimes three lines between them and the, uh, the forwards, right? Tons of space and, and nobody's bit. I think what the Canadians are trying to do is they're trying to stretch out the ice and let their talent and, and speed take over in space, but other teams aren't biting. They're just stacking up the neutral zone and challenging the defensemen to, to carry the puck and uh, it just hasn't really worked thus far. They're having a really tough, a really tough time getting out of their own zone and uh, really easy to see why with the benefit of the full view when you're uh, in the arena. I mean, if you want to look at individual performances though, I mean, Carter Savoy, this is a big opportunity for him to, uh, to really kind of step up and, and I mean, one term scouts love to use is see how a player plays and uh, when the talent compresses, and the talent's compressed, and Carter Savoy has completely wilted under the pressure. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't think I've I've noticed him for good reasons at any point in this tournament. He had the one goal, but it's the easiest goal he'll ever score in his career. Uh, gifted a puck at the side of the net with a yawning cage, right? You expect him to finish that play, but otherwise he's taken a lot of penalties, a lot of selfish penalties, I might add. Very low work rate, not contributing at either end of the ice. Uh, largely stationary for large periods of time, and uh, it's really hard to make sense of why that is. I mean, he's not somebody who I'd ever projected into the first round necessarily, but I mean, I would never critique him for his work rate. 
that's just not his game. He's playing with the Sherwood Park Crusaders. I mean, he's he's bringing it on a ship to ship basis. So a little bit uncharacteristic from Carter Savoy. Although he did have the shootout goal last night, so I probably shouldn't be too hard on the kid. And like I said, you don't want to ever overreact to a small international tournament. Uh, Michael Benning has he, he's done some good stuff. He's done some bad stuff. I mean, there was the one night where uh, you don't want to hold this against the kid, right? But I think he speaks to the tournament Canada West is having. He just kind of uh, catches an edge on the ice and, and blows an edge, rather. And, uh, you know, two giveaways end up in the back of Canada West net twice. So uh, he's had a bit of a rough tournament. I don't think it's been as bad as those two plays would suggest. You know, he can really, really move the puck, and I think that's the standout quality thus far in the tournament for me with Michael Benning. I mean, he can sail a two, three-zone pass off of his back foot and make it look easy. Uh, the, the concerns I did have, though, were looking at his production with Sherwood Park and the AJ, AJHL. I mean, a lot of that is power play production. And I was looking to see how is he going to perform in zone? Is he going to support the puck carrier? Is he going to find teams? Is he going to make highly creative plays in the offensive zone? I haven't really seen a lot of that from him, and I think that's, you know, without the, the ample power play opportunities, I think that's a big factor in why he hasn't been able to leave his mark. So it uh, hasn't been as poor a tournament for, for Benning as perhaps Savoy, but hasn't really stood out either. Um, the one AJHL, uh, one AJHL rather, defenseman that has stood out in a big way for me was Ethan Edwards. I think that he has uh, by far been the, the best Canadian defender in this tournament, Canada West and Canada East. Um, he, he, you know, he's a lightning fast skater, keeps his head up, uh, he's involved offensively in every play, supports the puck carrier, can lead a rush, displays good hands. I mean, uh, I, I gotta say, he's really put himself on the map for me going forward, and he's somebody that I'm gonna have to scout a little more closely, I think, because the player I'm seeing right now in Dawson Creek is certainly somebody who could, uh, factor at least into the middle rounds of the upcoming NHL draft, and I think my only qualm with Ethan Edwards' game thus far, I mean, it's, it's a high-risk game, but it's mostly been high reward. Uh, the, the one qualm I have is that the coaching staff doesn't seem to uh, think as favorably of, of his game as I do. I mean, he, I think he had two shifts through the first period last night. Uh, a little unfortunate. I'd like to see him play a bit more. I think he brings a, a dynamic to Canada's blue line, Canada West rather, that just hasn't been there otherwise. So, uh, I think that he's actually been the real standout among the draft eligibles. I mean, uh, Massimo Rizzo has been doing some good things. Carolina draft pick from the seventh round last year. Ken Johnson isn't eligible for another season. He's made a lot of uh, a lot of mistakes characteristic of a, you know, a draft minus one playing against uh, older talent in the World Junior A Challenge, but he's also had some dazzling moments of creativity too. So uh, there's no shortage of talent on Canada West. I just think they need to sharpen uh, sharpen up their play, maybe support the defenders on the breakout more, and they have a chance to do some damage here. But uh, it is going to have to come with some adjustments because what they're doing right now clearly isn't working. Well, we'll see how the uh, rest of the week uh, unfolds and how the tournament ends up. Uh, J.D., when is your next uh, ranking out that you put together for uh, EP Ringside? You know, we were thinking of doing just about three rankings this year. The plan was winter, uh, spring, and then the end of the year right before the draft. But uh, there's been quite the public outcry, and, and private, I might add. My scouts are, are chomping at the bit, too, and we're thinking <laughs> that we might start putting them out a bit more regularly. So, uh Stay tuned. That's that's all I can say for now. But uh, 
I'll be sure to keep you in the loop and make sure that everyone knows well in advance when the next one drops. Awesome. Safe to say it's uh, in the new year, though, after the World Junior, at the earliest? Oh, yeah, yeah. That would be the absolute earliest, for sure. Excellent. J.D., I really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. Uh, uh, get some Ricola and uh, get over this cold. Yeah, thanks, Guy. I'm, I'm going to try and find myself some Dawson Creek pho, maybe some ramen, and see if that does the trick. <laughs> nice. Thanks for this, J.D. Anytime. You have a good one. That's J.D. Burke from EP Rinkside, Elite Prospects Rinkside, up in uh, Dawson Creek, B.C., where he's watching the World Junior A uh, Challenge. Since that conversation, we know that Canada West is out of the tournament. They lost on a Thursday evening uh, against the Czech Republic. There are two final round-robin games uh, here on Friday. One of them is in the books. Uh, pardon me, it's not over yet. It's uh, late in the second period. It's 3-1 for the United States, who have already clinched uh, first place in the round-robin. Uh, they lead Russia right now. Canada East and the Czechs play tonight to uh, wrap up the round-robin. And uh, the uh, rest of the tournament goes Saturday and Sunday. And then we'll know who wins this year's edition of the World Junior A Challenge. That wraps up this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Next week, we got uh, basically about two weeks before the start of the uh, 2020 World Junior Championship over in, in uh, the Czech Republic. So it'll be as much of a World Junior preview as uh, we can put together. We've already talked uh, about a couple of countries, but uh, we'll go full scale next week. So uh, lots to look forward to. Uh, and the week after that, telling you right now, probably no show. That will be the week of, uh, you know, Christmas in the middle of that week, Boxing Day in the middle of that week. The 27th, the uh, Oil Kings are back in action after their uh, lengthy uh, layoff. They'll be in Red Deer. I'll be down in Red Deer doing color that night uh, for the Oil Kings. Um, so with so much going on that week, uh, there won't be a show. So next week there'll be a show, then a week off, and then it'll be uh, the week of New Year's. But by the end of that week, uh, it'll be the 3rd or 4th of uh, January. So should be able to put something together uh, for the first show of 2020. Until next week, why don't you get out and watch some junior or college hockey or both so that you and I can talk about it next week right here on the Pipeline Show. Until then, my name is Ski Flaming. See ya.